You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. Imagine leaving home at 15 years old and creating over a billion dollars in revenue by the time you were 18. And that's only part of the story of today's guest. Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk. Meet this man and hear his story. Shaheen Cheyenne is a serial entrepreneur who went against conventional wisdom and decided to focus on building a product and company that lived outside of conventional wisdom and used tried and tested systems to create products that have disrupted entire industries. He's described as, and I love this, the Willy Wonka of Generation X by Newsweek and the London Observer, and I'm thrilled to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Shaheen. So good to be on. Thanks for having me on. I think this is going to be an exciting one. Oh, oh, I can tell it's going to be exciting. Uh, <laughs> no, we don't have to worry about that. I want to come right out of the gate, though. I, you know, 15 years old. What makes a 15-year-old kid so ambitious to you know, take the trajectory that you've taken. Yeah. So my family migrated from Iran. We were immigrants. We were refugees coming to the United States, a Jewish Iranian family moving to the United States, quickly realizing whereas in Iran, we were middle class in the United States. We were not only second and third class citizens, but we were now poor. And my folks had to work odd jobs. I didn't speak a word of English. I fully believed that the reason why you went to school was to get your ass kicked. And so every single day I would go there and get my my regular serving of ass kicking. And I quickly realized that the neighborhood that my folks had moved into and luckily purchased a home there was being gentrified and up and coming. Now, I noticed all this wealth around me, all the success around me, but there was no path for me to get there. And like any good Persian Jewish immigrant family, I, I went to my folks and I said, hey, see that guy in the Porsche? They like, yeah. See that beautiful girl he's got? Uh-huh. See that fancy watch and the fancy watch and the fancy house he's got? Uh-huh. How do I get that? And of course, they laughed and then they thought about it and they go, oh, shit, kid, serious. And they said, Luke, son, you have to be a doctor. Doctor is the only way to success. And I looked at that as an option. Wasn't going to be for me all those years of schooling. So I bailed and I left home uh, at a, with a grade school education and went out into the world to seek my fame and fortune. I left my family behind. I left all my friends behind. There was, there was really nothing but a backpack, no money. And I basically slept where I could lay my head and eat when I could find food until I got involved in the electronic music scene, the rave scene that was going on at that time, and quickly realized that if I wanted to break out of my situation, I'd have to either sell a product or a service. And so I invented an alternative to the biggest party drug of that time called ecstasy. Yeah, I want to go into that. I've I've been looking at you online, and I wanted to get into that. So stay there. Uh, first of all, I just have to react. You got quite a story there. I have to just react to what I've just heard. 
it's impressive to me uh, because I meet people who are successful. But I got to tell you, it takes me, I can sit and have a meal with someone, know nothing of their background. And before the meal hits the table, I can tell who they are. I can tell whether they came up as a first class citizen and had things handed to them. And I can tell if somebody left, I don't know about age 15, that's a new one on me, but I can tell when somebody's worked with their own two hands and their mind. And um, I just have to tell you that it's an impressive story and it's an inspirational story. Now, yes, I did hear about this uh, herbal ecstasy, herbal ecstasy. Is that it? Yeah. All right. Walk me through that a little bit. So, all right, now we're, we're out, we're moving. And then this goes. Yeah. So I'm 15. I'm in the club scene. I noticed that the only people making money are the drug dealers think to myself, well, that's great. Let me do that. That's quick money. They got the cars, the houses, the girls, that's everything I want. I'm, let's do that. Or the, the parents were thrilled. Yes. Keep- <laughs> well, I, I wasn't speaking to my parents. Remember I was, I was out on my own. I was okay. I was a system of one sleeping in the backseat of a Lincoln Continental uh, with the suicide doors, great car, uh, sleeping in abandoned buildings, wherever I could lay my head. I had no friends, no money. And so I looked around and I was like, yeah, let me do that. And then I reflected back on my adolescence and my first endeavor in the business of crime, realizing that I was very good as a youth uh, doing uh, crime, terrible at not getting caught. So in effect, that meant I was really fucking bad at crime. And I remember thinking to myself, dude, like, don't go into crime. Like just anything you do, don't go into crime. And I, I remember being there at that position where I'm like, I could sell this stuff. And then being whacked in the head by my own thought of like, man, just going to land you in jail. So I decided to come up with a legal version, a natural version of ecstasy that was all natural ingredients. And I, I, I don't know how I did it. I got myself a girlfriend at the time that had nowhere to live, no money. Um, I'm not sure she knew that. Her dad was some like stuffy superintendent of some school district accounting, something, something, very stuffy guy. She managed to sneak me in through the back door as he went out through the front door to work. And I would cook up prototypes in her kitchen all day, every day, until I came up with a formula that succeeded, a formula that felt like ecstasy. And we tried it out on all the teenagers in the neighborhood and everybody loved it. And then I went out to the clubs and I saw this untapped distribution circuit. Now, this was what was going on. And this is an interesting part of the story because I really believe in life, you have to create your own luck. And this is a perfect example when people look at me and they're like, oh, man, you got the cars, the planes, the boats, you've done it all. And you got lucky. And I go, yeah, I got I got real lucky. You didn't see the nights that I was sleeping in the backseat of a Lincoln Continental. You didn't see me sleeping in abandoned buildings. You didn't see me eating one meal every two days. You only see the place I'm at now. And back in those days, the supply of ecstasy had dried up. Most of it was coming from Europe. I was at the right place at the right time, creating my own luck. And all these drug dealers, which was what? An untapped distribution circuit that nobody else saw, that everybody else ostracized. I looked at and said, hey, I'm going to make all these guys my employees. And that's what I did. I sold it to them. I went to them and I said, guys, 
you're sitting on your assets. This this is an amazing distribution circuit. Look at all these people at this party, looking to party. You got nothing to sell them. This is not going to fare well for you. You're going to go out of business. Here's an alternative. So they started selling my pills. And it went from one guy to a thousand guys to thousands of people all over the world. And we started making hundreds of millions of dollars until one day I fall asleep because I, I was only sleeping two hours a day at this stage in the in uh, drooling on the passenger seat of my brand new Lamborghini, stepped into my office, 200 employees, everybody wearing the ecstasy shirts with the butterflies on them, everybody in Venice Beach employed by me. I, I, I swear if you could fog up a mirror, I would hire you. And we had, we had some mutants of human beings. Everybody was there. And I remember the news breaking that we had made a billion dollars in revenue. Um, <clears throat> that's a picture of me from back in the 90s. If you guys are listening to this in audio, it's a picture of me with long hair, wearing a pink robe, a uh, photo taken by uh, Dave LaChapelle, the, the infamous, famous 90s photographer. But I quickly realized that I needed to uh, make some changes. And I learned some very important lessons, one of which was that I probably- wait, 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 I, I want to hear the lessons. I want to hear the lessons. Oh, yeah. you, 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 you're, you're a goer. Uh, uh, a couple questions on my end. One, the the herbal ecstasy was it legal? I know you created yes. it. It was legal. Did it go through the FDA? I mean, how how did it get legal? The, the FDA at that time did not regulate supplements, so they regulate the manufacturer of the supplements, meaning the facility that they were made in. They regulate the claims that you make, saying this can cure cancer, this can do this, this can do that, but they don't regulate supplements. As long as you're using ingredients that are generally regarded as safe, you can sell a supplement anywhere. Most people don't know that, but that is in fact the case. Yeah. I certainly didn't know it. So so did, did you send your pills off to be examined? Did they come and watch how you were cooking it? How did no. you do that? No, 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 none of that. In, initially, I was making it up in a kitchen, Right. Then I moved to a small facility in Chinatown where I had an herbalist who was making it in a small production facility. And then we moved on to big factories. And I had, I don't know, one count, you know, a dozen or more factories producing our products all over the world and shipping them. I mean, we were making this stuff for 25 cents a unit, selling it for $20 all cash. And one of the important lessons I learned when we broke a billion dollars and Sam Donaldson was in my office, the great Nightline reporter to interview me, flying to New York to do Montel Williams, two Newsweek covers, London Observer, LA Times, New York Times. We were the it thing is that uh, I probably should have gotten an accountant earlier. And I learned through my interviews with accountants, very interesting, something your uh, viewers and listeners might want to note. Accounts are not not, you should underline this, the guys that separate the duffel bags that have the pills and the cash and then count the cash. That is not what accountants do. <laughs> and I, I learned this lesson the hard way, but eventually the company got bigger and bigger and we had some very exciting times. From there, I moved on to inventing the Vapeer digital vaporization, which is the forerunner for all the e-cigs and vapes that you see today. Patented Did you have a that. trademark on that or a patent or we anything? We had patents. Yeah, I had patents. That company's public now, and I am no longer involved, and I don't espouse vaping or smoking or taking any anything without talking to your doctor. But um, I did invent that. And from there, I moved on to looking at this great disruptive platform that this another one of our bald brothers, Mr. Jeff Bezos, had created. And at that time, Jeff was very accessible. You could 
email him, he would respond back. Uh, you could call and eventually get through to him. So he was not this behemoth richest man in the universe as he is now sending the huge penis into space. He was much more accessible. And looking at that, I thought, man, um, I, and I was getting a little older. I'm 46 now. I thought, you know, I have a kid. I want to keep my mental acuity operating at maximum capacity. How do I do that? Okay, well, let me create a new tropic. I worked with one of the biggest pharma companies in the country, and I came up with a formula and introduced this product called Accelerol Focus Plus. Beautiful uh, blue and green pills uh, was selling them, but they were expensive. And I thought, man, they're like 120 bucks a month for this stuff. Where am I going to sell it? We heard through the grapevine that Bezos opened up his platform to third-party sellers. Anyone, me, you, Aunt Susie, anybody could sell this stuff on the Amazon platform. Use the eyeballs that he's brought in. Use his audience to sell what you want to sell. I said, fucking awesome. Let me try that. It took me 15 minutes. Now it's, it's funny. It takes our clients weeks, sometimes months to do it. But in those days, it took me 15 minutes to list the product, open a seller account. It was all done. I went to sleep. I woke up in the morning and something strange happened. I looked at my screen and we had thousands of orders. And I thought to myself, holy shit, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. This guy's definitely not a chump. And as I looked into Bezos, I realized that there was a reason why he was the richest man in the world, because he had created this big disruptive e-commerce platform that's going to create more millionaires, more billionaires in our time than any other e-commerce platform. He basically did for e-commerce what Piggly Wiggly did for retail by bringing in aisles and letting the consumer pick whatever they wanted by bringing in shopping carts. Before in the olden days, you go into a general store, the guy would give you what you wanted and you'd have no options, very few options. Piggly Wiggly comes around. This dude's like, I'm going to revolutionize the world. Like, how are you going to do it? He's like, I'm going to bring these things into stores. People are like, what the fuck's that? It's like, it's called a shelf. Really? It's going to let people pick their products and bring them out. Oh, and what's that thing with the wheels? That's called a cart. It's going to revolutionize things again. And he did it. And the general store was sitting there with their hands under their ass, looking out the window at the line around a Piggly Wiggly. Who's Piggly Wiggly? That's fucking Jeff Bezos. So I decided I'm going to master that art. I'm going to master the art of selling on Amazon. We started doing it for ourselves. We had some failures, and then we started to hit it big. And we started to become one of the biggest resellers of private label products on the Amazon platform. And then people started asking me, how do I do this, Shaheen? And I started doing it for big companies. We still do it to this day for Fortune 50s, Fortune 500s, venture-backed companies. I charge an a, a insane amount of money, but we do a great job. And then individuals started coming to me, Rob, and they said, hey, can I do this? And I said, yeah, but you're never going to afford me, dude. And honestly, like, I got more clients than I know what to do with. So I created an online training called Amazon Mastery, and that's what I do now. I inspire people, not because I need the money, but because I want to see people succeed and create this predictable recurring revenue stream that never fails. And I believe it's day one here at Amazon. I believe that at Amazon and being an Amazon seller, and I'm not, uh, uh, I don't work for Amazon. I'm not affiliated with Amazon or Jeff Bezos, but I am a seller on Amazon and I do get to benefit from making money. And as Amazon 
increases and as people start buying on Amazon more and more, as we've seen with COVID, there's that huge window of opportunity. All these doors are open. And I want to inspire 2,000 people by the end of the year to do that. We're up to about two or 300 right now. How do people get a hold of uh, that program? What are they looking for? If, if they're okay. listening right now, how do they find this? Let's do this. So here's the deal. I got a one-hour course that I want everybody to watch. It's 200 bucks, but it tells you everything you need to know from A to Z about how to sell on Amazon and all that. I don't make any money on it. Here's what I'm going to do. For everybody listening to this podcast, Rob Joel's, we're going to give it to them for free. I'm going to give out my email, reach out to me directly, and I will give it to you for free. Just mention pocket in the subject heading. So mention pocket in the subject heading or Rob Joel's, and I will give you the one-hour course for free. My email is darkzess at gmail.com. That's D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. Again, D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. We also have a weekly podcast that we'll be sharing this content on as well. That's called Hack and Grow Rich. Make sure to subscribe, like, dislike, troll us, leave bad comments, whatever you want to do. And my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Thropo Cult, is available now. We just dropped the Audible book as we're recording this. So if you are one of those people like me who likes to listen to audiobooks at 2x because you're just too goddamn busy, get the Audible book. Otherwise, the paper book is available now. And I'd love to hear what you think about it, Rob. Perfect. And I'm going to let you hit that one more time, by the way, because I'm not done with you. But uh, did you read the Audible book? I did. Yeah. And it's crazy. That's okay. So here's the deal I got a professional voice actor. This dude's a fucking rock star. And he recorded the whole thing, produced it. It was so slick. And I was so excited. And everybody I played, I, I, I gave it to was like, dude, I thought you were going to read it. I was like, oh, fuck. And then I had to sit my ass down in front of my studio at my home. I recorded in my home studio and just do it myself. And when I did that, everybody was like, this is awesome, Shane. <laughs> so so much for, for dropping thousands of dollars and delegating something that right. takes a lot of time. And, and it's crazy. I don't, do you have a book out, Rob? Yeah, I have six books out and uh, I've done a few audio books myself and I do all my reading. You do. So you know what a pain in the fucking ass it is. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine doing it at home. I go into a studio and, uh, you know, I have to tell you, uh, I don't drop a ton of F-bombs on my podcast, but I'm enjoying your colorful language. <laughs> I will tell you if anybody ever has the outtakes of my my book, my audio book, it is raining F-bombs because I would get right near the end of a real big paragraph and I was punching it and going and just bump, bumped a word or two. And then it was like, bang, bang. But uh, no, I've done a few audio. I think I've done three audio books and uh, they, they both of them took me two days. I mean, they were they're a while. Wow. I love that. Yeah, I, I I can go either way. I feel more comfortable because I feel it's more authentic because I do curse a lot. As funny as uh, I did this guy's podcast and I started cursing and he goes, oh, I see that you like just like you being very uh, kind. He's like, I see you got very colorful language. I just want you to know, I don't know if your publicist told you this is a Christian show. <laughs> and I said, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll I can, you know, I, you know, whatever that means, I, I can, you know, I can, I can, I, I don't have to curse. And he goes, oh, no, cursing is fine. He's like, just don't say anything about atheism. And I was like, right. oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's just you know what I learned as a professional speaker, by the way? Cursing yeah. is okay. I, I'm going to abbreviate it. Yeah. GD. 
is ex very offensive to a certain part of the population. So that is something I've, I actually pulled out of my language, even if I was hanging around having a beer with you. No. Everything else, there's nothing off limits with me. Oh, but uh, I just respect particularly the middle section of the US oh that has a little issue with uh, with with GD. Really? So uh, that's one I, I stay away from. That's, but that's... you're my guest. And you get to you get to I like authentic <laughs> language. So I'm 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 all ears. And one other thing, if you listen to my podcast, I've never had a podcast where I've basically been sitting and listening to you. So it's uh, it's you're a guy who can carry on a conversation. Let's change it a little bit. Let's Tell me, I've, I've got some unbelievable successes from you, but I've never met anybody. Um, and I'm an entrepreneur, so yeah. I know where I'm going with this. I've never met anybody who took the risks, who wasn't afraid of failure, who didn't fail. So were there some failures along the way? And, and walk me through that mental process for a guy who's as charged as you are and as goal-oriented as you are. Yeah, I talk about this often, and that's a really great question. And the answer is this. You are measured by your largest, latest success. Nobody sees all the baskets that Michael Jordan missed. Nobody. Nobody sees all the holes that Tiger Woods didn't hit. They don't see it. It's not on a record anywhere. And again, people measure you by your latest and largest success. And for me, I've had lots of failures, terrible failures. And it's usually when I stop following my fascination, I get out of a flow state and I start chasing money. I don't do that often in life, but the couple times where I've followed the money and not something that I'm interested in, that's happened. I love money. I love making money. I think life is better with money. I think you need financial prosperity to have actual freedom and it's not negotiable, but it can't be the target of what you're doing. And the few times I've done that, I failed. I also had lots of small failures and lots of medium-sized failures, but I had a couple big successes. And the big successes I had washed out all the failures down the line, far and away by like orders of magnitude. And I started to realize that that's really what, what life is about. It's about trying. It's about failing. And it's about making these changes, these micro changes, and having the courage, like you very astutely observed, to take these risks. The bigger risks you can take without being wiped out, without being destroyed and, and completely ruined, and even though that's, uh, you, can, you can overcome that, but we don't want to, uh, you can do pretty well in life. And for me, I had a, a, a time where, Look, I was 15 years old making hundreds of millions of dollars. Everybody was stealing from me. I had no systems in place. I had a grade school education. I had no CEOs. I'd pull a guy off the street and say, hey, you know what a CEO is? Great, that's you. And I'd give him a job. That's, that's how I operated. And in those days, everyone was stealing from me. And there was a time where I had an employee who stole over a million dollars, which is like, oh, well, you're making hundreds of millions. That doesn't matter. But then he ended up selling it and destroying the market for my products. Huge mistake. I could have overcome that by doing greater due diligence, by being more diligent and observant of what was going on. And I didn't, but I learned. And as I got older, I got smarter. 
And so now it's not that that stuff doesn't happen. We all have ups and downs in our businesses. I, I am part of a mastermind group of guys who are all super high achievers. Everybody there has made millions of dollars in their lifetime. And this stuff happens all the time when we share our problems and struggles. But now I have a system to deal with it. We have a, a mastermind group. I have mentors. And so even though some of the same stuff that's not within our control, we can control what we do. We can control our perspective, um, but we can't control what other people do, even though yeah. we, can, we can decision architect and set stuff up so that they, 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 they have all the incentive to do the right stuff. Humans are flawed. And they'll do things to disappoint us. But what we can control is our reaction to them. And, and now I have systems in place where I have better controls for that stuff. So in recent years, I've never had a, a, you know, a huge uh, theft or a huge loss, as, as we often do in the physical products business. I've never had a huge ruinous event that's happened that's destroyed everything because I don't put my eggs in one basket. We do foundational thinking now. We have multiple streams of income. Yeah, but you're you're you really. I I don't want to run through this stop sign. You've hit on something that's really important, and I don't. And I and I want to slow it down just for a moment. You know, I'm going to say something nice to you, and then I'm going to give you a warning. But you've already figured it out. <laughs> you appear to be a creative genius. I mean that. Now, before we bend, you know, break around, patting you on the back, there is a risk with that level of creativity. And I had an uncle, my dad was one of seven brothers. The youngest brother was truly a creative genius and a very troubled soul. Mm. Uh, but he actually, in 1972, had a deal with the NFL to sell NFL merchandise outside of the stadium. You know, now we laugh at that. Imagine if you had ownership of NFL and you were the sole owner of NFL merchandise where that would be right now, you'd almost be in Bezos land. Okay. Uh, point being, what happens to creative geniuses frequently is they build it, it works, they lose interest, they get a little bored, and they go for that, they go for that other shiny penny in the corner. Yeah. Meanwhile, same story that you told almost, one of the employees began to embezzle, you know, they, they, things began to erode because this creative genius, this wonderful man lost sight of it, was bored with it, wanted to build something else. So but with when you talk about your mastermind groups and things like that, you have implemented a repeatable, predictable process to keep you from running that risk that creative geniuses run. And I and I applaud you for it. And I I'm, believe me, I heard your story. Rarely do you read that out of a book, you get punched in the nose once or twice. And then you say, all right, Either I'm going to be a victim and blame this on everyone else, or I need a process in place. You, sir, did that. And that's the impressive part of your story to me. Appreciate it. It's true. Did you ever see a movie called Defending Your Life? Oh, it right, sounds familiar. Write it down. It's from like the 90s. It's Meryl Streep. It's a guy named Albert Brooks. But it's his vision. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a comedy, a romantic comedy. Lovely story, and, and it's a man who very quickly he dies. But but in this version, you go to a place looks like Disneyland, and you actually defend your life. You have a prosecutor oh, yeah. and a defender, and they're looking for one set of criteria to determine whether you move on in the universe or you go back and do it again. Right there, you can imagine that 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 gaping question. So what's the criteria? What's this all about? 
And this writer's version was fear, overcoming fear. Did you let fear hold you back in life? Or can you show me places where you thumbed your nose at fear a little bit and said, I'm going anyway. And if you look at it, forget the movie. What are the things that you and I remember the most, appreciate the most, talk about with such pride? It's when we overcame that fear. You did it at 15, my friend, and started your journey. But when you did that, that's when we're living. And um, you're, you're a testimonial to that. But check out that movie. It's fun. You can, you can watch it with your kids, your wife. Uh, easy, but a really interesting movie and one to make you smile. Okay, we'll do that. I love feel good films. All right, let's let's come down the home stretch. Do you think th- there's still hope for for a story like yours, for a rags to riches story? I, I have a feeling I know where you're going, but I just need people to hear this. Have it, it, are we done? Is there only one Bezos in the world? Is there only one Cheyenne in the world? Or can or can we do this? I don't think everyone can do it. I think yeah, I talk about this often how when they ask successful people, this is from Scott Adams. He wrote a book called Win Bigly, another one, how to fail at almost everything and still win big or succeed. Uh, The uh, author of uh, the Dilbert comics, brilliant guy. Um, When you ask somebody who's like super successful, they ask them like like Elon or Jeff or uh, someone like Steve Jobs. They say, hey, how how did you do it? And they look at the person asking and they say, you know, I'm just very passionate about this stuff. And so people go, oh, okay, cool. That's very accessible to me. I can be passionate. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Right. It's fucking bullshit. What they're not telling you is, hey, I'm smarter than you. I'm willing to work harder than you. I got more grit than you. I'm more ruthless than you. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get to where I'm at, whatever. If I don't sleep, if I don't eat, it doesn't matter. And it's not right to say that because people will feel that they, they, you feel that they are beneath you. And then they'll find reasons to hate you, which is one of the reasons why people hate all these millionaires and billionaires. And, and you see people hating on these people. It's because of that. It's because they intuitively sense, fuck, this guy's smart. Like, look at Elon Musk. He's like digging holes to the center of the earth, sending rocket ships into space. He's running several successful companies. He's like an intellectual. He's Tony Stark. It's like, how do you ever compete with that? So the answer is this, that we can all become the best versions of who we are. But in my opinion, you have to overcome yourself. You have to overcome your self-limiting beliefs, but you have to overcome the things you believe are true that are not. That is the most difficult part of becoming successful because you could be a total fucking asshole and not know it. No one's going to tell you you're an asshole. Very few people have incentive. Uh, They win nothing by telling you you're an asshole. They create an enemy. So they're not going to tell you. So there's a lot of incubating assholes. There's a lot of assholes out there. There's a lot of people that suck. They absolutely suck at what they do. They're inefficient. They provide no value. They have no excellence. And they're just there to get that, uh, uh, what do you call it? The the prize they give you for participation, participation award, whatever it is. That's what what their purpose is. Now, 
So you're like, all right, Shaheen, so what, what happens if I can realize if I suck at something or if I'm an asshole? Well, from there, we got somewhere to go. From there, we can look at your weaknesses and turn them into strengths. And maybe we can't. Maybe you will always suck at that thing. But at least then we can find somebody who doesn't. Not everybody sucks at it. Right. Personally, I am incredibly good, very focused, hyper, hyper diligent, and maybe one or two things. And everything else, I am just below chimpanzee competency at. Horrible, absolutely horrible at anything that involves physical fixing with your hands, things around the house, incompetent. But I get it done because I know how to hire people. I know how to influence people and I find the best people and I pay them and they do that for me. And it's great. You only need one, two, maybe three total skill sets in life to succeed hugely. And to your question, yeah, those people are born every day. The people who know how to harness that power, the power of delegation, the power of influence, the power of sales, which is really what it is, which has become a, a four-letter word in our culture, especially with the millennials who are afraid of, of communicating with anybody face-to-face. -face. But that happens every day. But like you said, and, and again, to your, to your point, uh, you got to overcome the fear. You got to overcome the fear of, of who you are and become who you could be. It's beautiful. You know, in training terms, we refer to it as conscious incompetency, meaning you're aware of what you can't do. And the scary part is when you're unconsciously incompetent, which means I don't even know that I don't know. That's where we run into trouble. And that's why, you know, surround yourself with, with good people. As an entrepreneur, you, way back when we started, you, you threw out the, uh, the accountant story. And I smiled because I tell people when they ask me and I speak at some of the business schools and things, who's the most important person in your business? I think my accountant. Uh, I, I learned that the first year or two in business when I was getting fined left and right because I had a bargain accountant. I, I found myself a, a good deal on accountant. Don't look for a good deal. Look for a good mind. But uh, anyway, I, I think that's it's you're so self-actualized that what you basically demonstrated was I know where I'm consciously competent. In other words, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And I keep the two apart. And that's that's brilliant. And unfortunately, if we're unconsciously incompetent, that's where those that surround us come in. We got to listen to those that are around us because they'll know they'll tell you. All right. Let's, 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 I could go on with you, but let's wrap up. Let's hit that again. Tell me about the course. Tell me about how to get a hold of you. Let's do it one more time. Yeah. So the course, the free course, which will be free for anybody listening, use the code pocket size or Rob Joel's just put that in the subject. Is heading. it pocket size or pocket? Pocket. We can do pocket. pocket. Yeah, okay. that's fine. Or, or Rob Joel's. Either way, you guys, we'll get you. Okay. Uh, I respond to all emails directly, by the way. So if you guys email me, I will respond to you. might take me a minute, but I will. My email is darkzess at gmail.com. That's D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. You can check out more information on the course at fbasellercourse.com. That's fulfillment by Amazon sellercourse.com. And if you want to check out the podcast, it's Hack and Grow Rich, wherever podcasts are found, and also on YouTube. And the book is called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Cult. And that's available wherever books are found. Looks good. And we're going to go off the air in a second, but we're going to talk about that book because I think you got another book in you and I want to hear about that one. 
But anyway, listen, wonderful having you on as a guest. Uh, you did not disappoint. And I have to tell you, I have very high expectations of you because I saw a couple of your podcasts. So awesome. um, Thank you. folks, li- after you get done listening to this one, go listen to that podcast you just talked about, because from what I could tell, I haven't seen the other gear yet. He's only got one gear and it's intense. So anyway, thank you for being on the show. We'll do it again as well as we can next time. Until then, everybody, stay safe. Okay, I've stopped my recording.